0: Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised, Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him.
1: Thanks, Brian, for reading. Um, let me say, do, do make use of this Advent devotional. Uh, this is all Kate's work, um, and it's a mammoth effort that she's um, put in to compile that. Um, I've read through it and really looking forward to working through it more slowly. Many times as I skimmed, I thought, oh, that's so helpful. Uh, it's heartwarming. It's challenging. It'll uh, fix your eyes on Jesus as we um, journey through Advent together. Uh, you should have an outline for the talk on a, on a little handout. If you don't, Jack can bring some more rounds. And please keep that passage of the Bible open. And let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you for the presence of your Spirit, uh, the Spirit who enabled Peter to pen these words all those centuries ago. Uh, we thank you that he's present with us now to help us understand. And we pray that you would give us... Uh, open minds and soft hearts and ready wills to, to hear and believe what you say to us in your words and to live in the light of it. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Well, let me ask you, what are you looking forward to at the moment? What are you looking forward to? I know what 're just looking forward to. Um, I asked the members of... Uh, they're is getting married next week. Um, I asked the members of our gospel community on Friday... And these were the responses they gave. You can try and guess uh, which response belongs to whom. So one person said, uh, the cup of tea I'm making myself. Uh, Somebody else said, finishing school for the year. And she has. Uh, Going to Tassie. And they have, uh, Caleb and Maddie. uh, Visiting family in Vietnam. Not hard. Uh, Hearing Ben's sermon on Sunday. Thanks, Henry. And... um, (laughs) Me, I'm looking forward to going away with Corin tomorrow, we're heading to Marion Bay for five days, just us, I can't wait. But what are you looking forward to? Time and again in the New Testament, Christians are described as people who are waiting, people who are looking forward to something, our lives are future oriented. Part of what it means to be a Christian is to be a person waiting for Jesus to return. So in 1 Thessalonians, Paul describes his readers' conversion in language that I think is quite different to the kind of way we would describe it today. He says they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. That's what it means to be a Christian, what it means to become a Christian, to become someone who's waiting for Jesus to return. In Titus 2, Paul talks about how the grace of God teaches us to live godly lives while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in 2 Peter 3, the passage we're looking at today, Peter says that Christians are to be people who are waiting, people who are looking forward to the day of the Lord. When Jesus returns and the new creation is brought in so have a look again down to verse 11 and we'll just read to verse 14 three times Peter says we're to be looking forward verse 11 since everything will be destroyed in this way what kind of people ought you to be you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed it's coming That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. According to the New Testament, if we're Christians, then we're to be people of hope. People whose lives are characterized by looking forward with eager expectation to God's promises being fulfilled. And that waiting, that longing is to shape our lives now. As we've heard already today, Advent, that we celebrate Advent Sunday today, means arrival or appearance. The season of Advent is all about waiting, looking forward to the coming of Christ. Both his first coming that we celebrate at Christmas, but also his second coming. And so in these first two weeks of Advent, we're focusing on his second coming as we look at 2 Peter chapter 3, and in the second two weeks of Advent, we'll focus more on his first coming as we prepare to celebrate at Christmas. Peter writes this final section of his letter to do two things, I think. He writes to give his readers confidence that Jesus really is coming back, and he writes to encourage them in how we are to live in the light of that reality. So today we're going to think about uh, verses 1 to 10 and particularly the fact that Jesus really is coming back. And then next week we'll look at the second half and the way that reality should shape our lives now. Peter starts chapter 3 by telling us why he's writing his letter. Have a look again, verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter is reminding them to remember, to remember the words of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles. We're to be people who hold on to, remind each other again and again of the truth of God's word, who build our lives on the firm foundation of Scripture. Peter's writing to remind his readers, and we've called this series A Final Reminder. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll realize that as you read the Bible for yourself, as you come to church on Sundays, much of what you read and hear is not new, it's a reminder. One of the things we most need reminding about is the fact that Jesus is coming back. Now most of us Know that. It's, it's not a new idea for us, but we need to be reminded. Our belief needs to be strengthened and nurtured, and it will only be strengthened as we remind ourselves and each other of what God has said in his words. Part of the reason we need reminding about Jesus' return is because we're surrounded by voices that ignore or deny or laugh at the idea. So Peter says in verse 3 above all you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires they will say verse 4 where is this coming he promised friends we're in the last days that's the period between Jesus' ascension and Jesus' return and if the presence of scoffers was a reality in Peter's day well how much more 2000 years later We shouldn't be surprised that our society scoffs at the idea of Jesus coming back. Now, you might think, Ben, I don't experience much scoffing, but I wonder if that's because we're not talking much about Jesus coming back. I remember one time Corinne's mum was staying with us and I was preaching on Christ's return and she was amazed. She found it incredible that there would be people who seemed kind of normal and intelligent who actually believed in that idea the assumption of our culture is that people who talk about the end of the world are just a bit weird aren't they a bit cuckoo and that's an assumption we can easily absorb robert vineland the founder of the church of god preparing for the kingdom of god good name for a church he claimed jesus would return on the 29th of september 2011. when that date passed without fanfare He tried again in 2012 and 2013, 2018 and 2019. I'm not sure he's got a current prediction in play, or or maybe he's given up. Now, we'll see a bit later. Peter says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In other words, it will come unexpectedly. uh, We shouldn't try and predict exactly when it's going to happen. But Robert Vineland has at least got something right, hasn't he? He really believes Jesus is coming back. Peter says we shouldn't be surprised that we meet with ridicule and disbelief when we talk about Jesus' return. We need to guard ourselves from absorbing that cynical attitude and be people who hold on to the truth of God's words, despite the scoffing. We need to remind ourselves and each other of Jesus' promised return. And so in the rest of the passage, there are three things I think Peter says we particularly need to remember to counter the scoffing of the world. Firstly, we need to remember the world is not eternal. Secondly, that God is not being slow. And thirdly, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So firstly, we need to remember, verses 5 to 7, that the world in its present form is not eternal, but will be destroyed. Now, the reason these scoffers give for not believing in Jesus' coming, is there in verse 4. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. I think it's a very kind of modern scientific way of reasoning. Science involves making uh, a theory and then conducting experiments to try and support that theory. And the more your experiments uh, support The theory you've made, the more confidence you can have that it's true. That's kind of what these guys are saying. Their theory is the end of the world will not come. Tomorrow will always come. And they say, look at all the evidence. For thousands of years, for millions of years, there has always been a tomorrow. The world just carries on. But Peter says they're ignoring a crucial fact. Verse 5. They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed, out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Peter is saying, remember, the world is not eternal. God brought it into being by his word. The universe is not self-sustaining. It relies on God for its existence. And remember too that the world hasn't always just carried on day after day. There was a time when God effectively brought the world to an end. Verse 6 is referring to the flood, when God said, Enough, I'm going to bring this world to an end and start again with Noah. Peter says these scoffers deliberately forget about God's judgment in the flood. But Christians need to be people who remember God has brought climactic judgment in the past. And he's promised he will do it again. Verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You see, friends, God has set a day. A day of judgments. And the world is being kept. That's what Peter says, isn't it? The world is being kept. For that day. Yes, tomorrow keeps coming, but it only keeps coming because God is sustaining the world and He's not sustaining it indefinitely. There will be an end, a day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So we might propose another theory the end of the world will come, there will be a day of judgment. We believe it because. God has said it will come. And where's our evidence? Well, just look. Have have a read. And you will see that God always does what he says he will do. Friends, our kids know this. God always keeps his promises. He's promised there will be an end. The Lord will come. There will be a day of judgment. He's spoken plainly about this. It's only a matter of time. But we might think, yeah, okay, but really? I mean, 2,000 years, that is a long time to delay. If he's coming, why such a long wait? We might think, if I was God, I would have not left it this long. To which Peter effectively says, verse 8, but you're not God, are you? The second thing we need to remember is that God is not being slow. He's not being slow in keeping his promise, but patience. Have a look again, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's being patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, there have been many ways of trying to understand how God relates to time. We are not going to get into that now. The key thing to understand is that God relates to time differently to the way that we do. For God, it really hasn't been a long time since Jesus' first coming. In one sense, for God, 2,000 years ago was like Friday morning. And we mustn't think that God is being slow about keeping his promise. He's not being slow, he's being patient. God is deliberately delaying the end of the world. Why? It's there in verse 9. To give people the opportunity to repent, to be saved, to not perish. Peter is clear. God does not want people to perish. He has a heart for the lost. He wants people to come back to him. And so he is patient. Just think how God must feel as he looks on this world with all its pain and injustice. You know, if we feel sorrow and righteous anger at the evil in the world, just imagine the agony that God must feel. How he must long to put things right, to bring justice. But he delays that day of justice in order to give people like you and me an opportunity to repent. So that on that day we don't get justice, we get mercy. If you're sitting here this morning and you're someone who's come to put your trust in Jesus for your salvation, then praise God for his patience. Praise God that he delayed that day of judgment long enough for you to turn to Christ and put your faith in him. And if you're someone who's not yet trusting in Jesus for salvation, realize God is being patient with you. Today is another day of opportunity Another day in which God is giving you time to turn back to him. Don't be fooled into thinking that you can keep putting the decision off. The delay won't last forever. There's a story about three apprentice demons who were coming to the earth to tempt uh, humanity, to finish their apprenticeship, and they're talking to Satan about their plans, how they're going to go about this. The first said, I will tell people there's no God. Satan replied, that will not delude many, for they know that there is a God. The second said, I'll tell people there's no hell. Satan answered, you'll deceive no one that way. People know even now that there is a hell. The third said, I will tell people there's no hurry. Go, said Satan, and you will ruin them by the thousands. You see, the most dangerous of Satan's strategies is to whisper to us that there's no hurry. There's no need to think seriously about where we stand with God. That There's no danger in putting it off. God's not being slow. He's being patient. The third thing we need to remember is that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Jesus himself uses this same metaphor of a a thief. And and the idea of the metaphor is the thief comes unexpectedly. He doesn't call ahead to let you know he's coming. He doesn't send a warning. His coming is a surprise. And so when the scoffers say the world carries on as it always has, that there's no indication Jesus is coming back we can say, well, of course there isn't. Jesus specifically said that he would come at a time we don't expect. Now, that doesn't mean his coming will be missable. His coming will bring the destruction of the world. This isn't an event that will be tagged on the end of the evening news. There won't be an evening news because the world in its present form will have come to an end. Now, we'll think more next week about what that day will hold and what it means to live in the light of it But what Peter is saying in verse 10 is that normal life will carry on. Tomorrow will keep coming day after day until one day that will look like every other day, except this will be the day, the day when the Lord returns. So, what are the things you're looking forward to? What's on your future horizon? Does the return of Christ even feature? He is coming. Jesus is coming back. As we say in the Nicene Creed, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. That's the ultimate reality that this world is heading to. That The world doesn't believe it. The world scoffs at the idea. That's why we need to be people who remind ourselves and each other of this reality. This is our great hope. And we're about to sing, full of hope, full of joy at the expectation of meeting him. Is that how you describe your life? Full of hope, full of joy at the expectation of meeting him. As we finish, let me give you two ways to think about Christ's return. At Christmas, we celebrate the coming of the king. The long-promised king has come. His kingdom has been established, and we enjoy many of the blessings of his rule. But there are still many, many more blessings to come. The kingdom is now, but it's also not yet. And so we continue to wait, to look forward to the return of the king, when his kingdom will come in all its fullness and all his promises are fulfilled. Second way to think, in our GC gospel community on Wednesday we did the third session of the brilliant 321 course and we were thinking about how Jesus describes his relationship with us as being like a marriage. That's a relationship that we enjoy now, but not fully. The New Testament makes it clear that the wedding celebration is still to come. Our relationship with Jesus is real and it's secure but it hasn't been consummated yet. And so maybe it's better to think of our relationship as more like an engagement or betrothal, a relationship in which we're eagerly waiting for the day when we see our Savior face to face and we run into our lover's arms to enjoy the fullness of his warm embrace. Full of hope, full of joy at the expectation of meeting him the day of the lord will come let's look forward to it and let's pray together father we thank you that you have spoken clearly about where history is heading about where this world is heading thank you that the jesus who lived and died and rose again is coming back thank you that you are being patient, that you're delaying that day to give us and and others the opportunity to repent. Please help us to remember these things, to remind each other of these things and please help us to be those who are waiting, longing for the day of the Lord, for the day when we see Jesus face to face. Help us to live now in the light of that reality and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.